This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith, corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host. Brett McMillan. It's the May 1st edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us. My name is Brett McMillan. Well, we've got a real treat today. Ben Hockman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch joins us in just a couple of moments. He's got a new book out on Cardinal history, and it's a book that I would say is written with the fan in mind. Not that other Cardinal books are not. In fact, there are other examples that, that are that I can think of off the top of my head. But Ben grew up here in St. Louis. He covers the team for a living as part of his duties as a sports columnist for STL Today and for The Post. And uh, he brought a really interesting perspective that comes from growing up around the franchise, growing up a Cardinal fan, and uh, just those kind of fine nuances that all of us as fans have and accumulate He's done that throughout the course of his life, and he's a gifted storyteller, too. And all of that comes together into a really, really great book. I sat down with Ben. He was kind enough to come up uh, when the team was out of town. We sat and talked for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so probably about the book and just the stories, the the people that are big names from Cardinal history and the people that you've maybe never heard of but have an interesting take and an interesting niche within Cardinal Nation. It was a real treat for me and I think that you will enjoy it too. Lots of famous St. Louis athletes show up in Ben's book, and there is a great St. Louis football athlete headed to Bush Stadium on Monday, May the 7th. It's Kurt Warner night at the ballpark. You can join the Cardinals in the celebration of the Super Bowl champion and recent Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, Kurt Warner. Fans purchasing a special theme ticket receive a -a one-of-a-kind Kurt Warner Hall of Fame bobblehead. Get your tickets at cardinals.com slash theme. Big thanks to Ben Hockman. Great book coming out. We'll give you the title in just a second. That way you can check it out. Appreciate him coming up and sitting down with me the other day here at Bush Stadium. So without further ado, Benjamin Hockman on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. As I mentioned at the top, the name of the book is The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the St. Louis Cardinals, and we're glad to have Ben Hockman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and uh, stltoday.com joining us. The author of the book, Ben, it's, it's good to have you with us. I'll be honest, I've done a lot of podcasts in my life, and I never have and never will do it in a more beautiful studio, if you will, than where we are right here uh, on our perch at Bush Stadium, looking out on the green. Perch. I see what you did there. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good setup. Somebody's got to do it, but uh, kind of looking out. I always like to watch the grounds crew. Mm-hmm. They are constantly working. Constantly. Yeah. 
tearing up grass. They're, somebody's got a hose right now on the first baseline, and they get within like a couple inches to water. Uh, before I started working here, I had no idea that it is, it's like a 24-7 job down there. I love when they when they do the fun things like make the arch in the outfield. Yeah, I'm I, a big fan of that, I too. I love the creativity. I wish, I wish. Uh, I mean, you gotta, yeah, it's a fine line because you can't just go nuts with it, but like, I, w- I would love like a, like a 3-1-4 across the uh, the outfield or or even i guess if i may seven eight nine for the positions i like that yeah, yeah. well maybe they could even do it on the grass you know we could put the five over by third or yeah. maybe in the dirt kind of like they do with the all-star game they do the logo out back behind yeah we'll, we'll be sure to mention that to bill I'll put it a next call. time yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> next time he's sitting there in the dugout uh, during bp we'll be sure to mention that well hey uh you know we got you on for the book and we love talking about cardinal history on the podcast i know that this is something that you're passionate about and uh just a little background I mean, people know you from your role with the paper but you essentially correct me if i'm wrong but you came back to st louis because you wanted to cover the cardinals and it's your hometown yeah but came back from denver because of this team exactly well so i mean i i had the columnist job at the denver post uh, a city that has all four sports teams and is a growing, bubbling American city and uh, one of the coolest places uh, anyone can visit. But St. Louis is home, and St. Louis means baseball. And out there, the Broncos are like the Cardinals, if you will. And I'm a baseball guy. We're all baseball people here in St. Louis. So when uh, Bernie Nicholas, who I looked up to for all my years reading in the Post-Dispatch, took a job in radio, and they offered me the job to be the columnist at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, of course. I, I jumped on it, uh, moved back, and it's it's surreal. I mean, I mean, we're at Bush Stadium right now. I mean, I'm looking at it. I mean, there's there's the left field wall. There's, you know, there's there's the picture of Ozzy f- doing the backflip. I mean, it, we, we, are, we are in the epicenter of the things – that make our body stir, if that makes sense. Like, we just get into it. We just, like, it just stirs something inside of us. I, no, I think that you're right there, and that kind of leads where I was going next, which is that I think as kids growing up in St. Louis, at least for myself, and it sounds like you, I used to think about this franchise a lot and what it meant on a bigger scale. You know, it's not just about, like, yeah, as we record this yesterday, they walked off in extras against the Mets. That's great. Like, great stuff. As a team employee, I love when we win, especially like that, but what this team represents to this town is about more than that. So I imagine that as soon as you knew you were coming back here, you had to be thinking about a book, right? Or was it something that came along a little later? That's a great question. And and the answer is yes. And then moreover, I've always wanted to write a book but it, about the St. Louis Cardinals. And I just never had the opportunity. It would just been weird, for lack of a better word, for the guy from Denver to suddenly, you know, churn out a book about this team from a different city. Uh, but once I came home, I was like, you know what? I have all these stories from my own childhood. I'm a professional storyteller. I don't do I don't do many things well. My wife will tell you, but I but I do <laughs> like to tell stories, and I think I do that okay. So I like I have all these stories from my childhood that I think are a entertaining, but b relatable. For the readers, so I, 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 what's the word? Splurse? Is that a word? Spurse? I need a, I need an editor here. Splice, splice yeah, those yeah, in, uh, into the stories of Ozzy Smith, Willie McGee, Tito Landrum, whoever uh, I'm writing about in the particular chapters of the book. You know, in the book, you pick 50. So there's 50 chapters. Again, the, the title kind of indicates, you know, 50 men, 50 moments, a uh, combination of the two. That's really hard to pick 50 because <laughs> we're in a, the 127th season of Cardinal Baseball. And even folks that come to a book like this, I mean, I'd like to think that they really want to dig in. But you could get into the weeds and start talking about Robeson Field and, <laughs> you know, uh, Allie Mae Schmidt and the birds on the bed. Right, right. Um, you know, and we do some of that with Cardinals Insider, too, and there's a place. But, but 
I guess the, the question that I'm forming here is how do you go through 127 years mm -hmm. and pick 50? That's a great question. Uh, you're good at this. I, uh, Thank so, you. You're welcome. So um, I, I wanted to do a mixture. Of course, I, I would, w would want and did a chapter on Stan Musial, a chapter on Yadier Molina, a chapter on Bob Gibson. Um, but even those, I, I didn't want to write a book that's already been written. And I didn't want to tell a lot of stories that Cardinals fans had already heard. Otherwise, like, why did I buy this book? Um, so I tried, even within those chapters, uh, to do something different, whereas uh, spend the day with Stan Musial's grandson for the Musial chapter or um, with the Ozzie Smith chapter. I talked to a guy that's from St. Louis that grew up watching Ozzie Smith and now is a professional uh, circus studier. He studies uh, circus. He's written a book. I uh, lived in Montreal, and uh, which is apparently is a circus hub of North America. And so, like, here's this kid from St. Louis who just loves acrobatics and loves the contortion of the body. And he says that that love started from watching Ozzy Smith in 1986. So it's kind of fun. So that, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not just a, about the go crazy home run, even though of course it's in there. But there's 50, like you said. So I also was like, you know what? If I'm if I'm a fan of the Cardinals and I want to read about the Cardinals, I want to read more about my favorite random moments. Things that happened that I like sort of remember, but I'd like more information about it or just more backstory. So like there, there's a whole chapter on the Tom Lawless bat flip from the 1987 World Series when Tom Lawless, he of two home runs ever, hit a home run in the World Series off Frank Viola, who ended up being the World Series MVP, one of the best pitchers of his generation. And Tom Lawless hits this ball for those that did not have not seen the highlight before. And the TV shows him, and he just starts walking to first base. So you're thinking, oh, my God, Tom Lawless just hit a 900-foot home run. <laughs> it's the only explanation for why Tom Lawless is not scurrying to first base. Then he throws his bat 20 feet into the air. So we're like, I can't wait to see. And then they show where the ball landed, and it, like, scraped the yellow line. Like, it barely went over as a home run. But Tom Lawless with the cockiest bat flip ever. And, you know, I talked to him, of course, about it. He's like, I knew it. I knew it was gone. So he just, like, admired this home run. It was probably the most inexplicable home run in World Series history, and it was an important one for the Cardinals at the time. So I did a whole chapter on that. You know, instead of just, like, a paragraph, there's, there's fun stories, backstories, and, and uh, Reggie Jackson was the, uh, one of the helping out in the broadcast, and he goes, I don't even know who bleeping Tom Lawless is. You know, like, he's never heard that yeah, before. Yeah, and he's throwing a bat and, like, things like that. So, I mean, there's a whole chapter on that, for wow. instance. And, and, and I, I just I did a whole chapter on that one guy. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Todd Thomas, mm -hmm. that one guy. He's been here since 1996, and you see him at all the games. And he's got stories. All these people have stories. He talked about how Jim Edmonds used to, because um, he used to do the, uh, he wants to go for the dogs, everybody. And that, that was his thing for the Southwest family of the game. And they, they gave you, like, would you like a Tom Pagnazzi autograph ball, or would you like to go for the doors? And every family chose the doors, because who knew what would be behind the doors? So Jim Edmonds would ask him before the games, like, Hey, uh, which door are you going for? Which, which is the good door tonight? Which one is the best one? He's like, well, behind door number two is a, a trip to spring training next year. And then Edmonds would be in the clubhouse. Hey, 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 hey Langford, 
I bet you a thousand dollars that tonight <laughs> door door number two door number two it's door number two tonight has the has the big gift so I mean just again silly fun things and I mean I'm just looking here I mean here's a chapter chapter twenty seven the mad Hungarian faces two batters at the same time do you know that story no I mean I mean I could do this all day but I'll make it quick but like there Al Herbosky's on the mound he's getting in a in a in an argument with with uh, Bill Madlock who's in the batter's box Madlock is mad at the mad Hungarian for being the mad Hungarian. He's talking to the ball and walking around. So Madlock steps out. So there's no batter in the batter's box. The umpire goes, pitch. He points to Herbosky and says, pitch. So Al throws a pitch. There's no batter. Ted Simmons catches it. Umpire calls a strike. Not only does Bill Madlock come running back and start yelling at the umpire, but the guy on deck, Jose Cardinal, he comes running too. He's holding the bat and they're screaming. And... What does the umpire do? He, po- he just wants to get the game going. He points at her boss. He says, pitch. Both men are standing in the batter's box, and a pitch comes. And there's this, I mean, they didn't swing, thank God. But there's this, if you, if you watch the video, it's on YouTube. Of course, you read about it in the Big 50 by Benjamin Hockman. Uh, a freeze frame of two men holding a bat in the same batter's box as a pitch comes past them. Just, I mean, it would never happen today. It would never happen today, but it, it was zany. So, again, stories you never heard and then stories about stories you've heard that you hadn't heard. Now, everybody listening has got the same question that I do, and we all have our favorite little cardinal moments, but that's a, a lot of research and difficult to find those kind of like with Ozzy. You talked about that gentleman. How do you find a guy like that? I do stuff similar, and sometimes people ask me, well, how'd you find that guy? But, frankly, I'm not doing it to the level that you are or to the depths that that you did for this book. So how do you find a guy like that? A lot of it is just making notes over the years and and remembering things. Like, for instance, uh, instance, uh, Christopher Jackson. Uh, Do you like Hamilton? Have you seen Hamilton? You know about Hamilton? I've heard the soundtrack, and I wanted to see it so badly. Well, it'll be back in just just quick quick two years from now. It'll be back. (laughs) Um, I I like Hamilton. I'm a a big dork in that regard. And... um, so Christopher Jackson was in the original cast, original cast, and he played George Washington. And I remember he tweeted something two years ago, three years ago, about growing up in Illinois and liking Ozzie Smith. And I'm like, boom, put that in the back of my, my head. And then I'm writing this book. I'm like, well, how about I interview the guy from Hamilton who liked Ozzie Smith? And I talked to him for half an hour on the phone, and he gave these great anecdotes about growing up and driving to St. Louis and just that feeling of, of, of driving out and, and uh, trying to do the, the, the St. Louis trifecta of uh, going to a Cardinal game, going to Six Flags, and then eating at the Riverboat McDonald's. That, for him, that was heaven on earth. And so, I mean, just, uh, just the idea of like accumulating, n- pun intended with the McDonald's, nuggets over the years and then just like pouncing on each one to find these people to tell these stories. But the one guy, I, one of the chapters in the book uh, is about my quest to find someone who I could not find. And that man is the Sodi with the free straw guy. And I, I don't know um, if you recall this, but in the, in the 1990s, there was a gentleman. His name was Marion, possibly Marlon, depending <laughs> if I saw the L wrong or the I in Marion and it was wrong. It was an L for Marlon. I think it was Marion. Other people have said it's Marlon. And he would walk around, and if you're, if you're 10 years old, this is hilarious. And even if you're 30 years old, it's, it's, it's fun at least. He would go, anybody want a sodi and a free straw? 
You're like, oh my God, so creative. <laughs> Anybody when you go over to him, like, I'll take a straw. How about a, how about a free Sony also? You know, the dumbest thing ever. But everyone in St. Louis knew about anybody want a sody and a free straw because everyone else is just walking around saying like Budweiser, Bud Light, Bud Light, the push your washer bear man. But this guy, anybody want a sody with a free straw? And so I always say like, hell, we could, we could, we could try it tonight. We can go down to Ballpark Village and walk into one of those bars over there and, and I could just scream, anybody want a sody? And I bet at least one person turns around and says, do you got a free straw? I swear. I bet. I, I bet you're right. Yeah. So I'm like, so I got to find this guy. I got to find Marion or Marlon. And uh, I tried and tried, and I talked to people here at the Cardinals. I had access to Lexus Nexus, and uh, I found out his name. I got his last name, but it was Robinson. So it's like a very common last name. Like, like you know, if it was, you know, Ziprozeppa, I think we can find the one Ziprozeppa in St. Louis. Um, remember the Zippo Awards? Oh, definitely. Oh, the Zippo Awards. Um, so I can't find Marion. I'm looking through all these records. I'm calling phone numbers. I'm getting do do do. We're sorry, you know. I'm like, where is this guy? I'm putting it on Twitter, Facebook. I'm asking other vendors. I asked the Cardinals, and there was like one person that worked here at Bush Stadium that that knew him. And uh, the the only anecdote I could get was he left, and on his final day, a limousine picked him up, and he left, and it was basically like. I'm out of here and got in a limousine and people are like, why, why is Marion or Marlon getting in a limousine? And, um, and he did. And my only, and I put this in the book, I, I admitted like through the search, I could not find Marion. So I'm like, my only explanation for what happened was this. There must've been a year where they switched because now when they sell sodas here, it's in the plastic bottle with the bottle cap. Straws are not part of the situation anymore. So my guess is whatever day they were like, all right, guys, we're switching from the sodies with the straws. And now we're just selling the bottle. He goes, well, where's the straws? Oh, my God, my gimmick is done. He's like, I'm, I'm done. And that's how he left. And he, he, the day that they had plastic bottles with the caps, Marion quit. And went off in style, rode off in style. That was going to be exactly my guess, too. Because <laughs> as soon as you, I, I hadn't <laughs> thought of it for a moment in my life before you started telling the story, but there are, yeah, they don't do straws anymore. Or there's like, do you remember the blue sports service cups sure. they would do the beers in? Oh, yeah. And then you'd listen to KMOX after the game and you'd hear that popping noise in the background. Come on, yeah. Yeah, and that was people turning the cups over yeah. and stomping on them. And I could never do it, but my dad always could. He could get it to, the sides would literally pop out and explode. <laughs> so you'd listen to KMOX and Jack Buck or Mike Shannon would be doing the scoreboard show and they'd be giving the wrap up and be these pop, pop, pop. That's in awesome. The, in the background. That's, see, man, I needed you for the book. I, mean, I need to write <laughs> another 50 chapters and sit down with you and get some great stories. No, I, lo I love stuff like that. And, and that's what makes St. Louis St. Louis is, again, I was in Denver and they liked the Rockies and they sold out for, for the big games in September last year as they made their playoff push. But, I mean, there, there's there's not that, that history of, there's not that iconic history talking, you know, Bob Gibson, Stan Musial, nor is there that, like, fun I guess like what we're talking about right here, you recognizing the pops on the on the back of the uh, or on the post game show or or, or or the sodium and the free straw or whatever it is. The, the, I mean, uh, the, the here comes the king, the song that plays. I mean, you, you hear that song and and you just think cardinal games, you know. And uh, I mean, heck, I got I had at my my wedding. I got married last summer. I got Dwayne Hilton, the uh, the organist here at Bush Stadium, to come to the wedding venue, and he played. Here comes the king as I walk down the aisle. Now, what was the? Did you have to do a lot of convincing to make that 
happen? Surprisingly, no. I don't know how why he was so into this. Maybe because it was such a bizarre request. He's like, I'll never get to do this again. I play Here Comes the King at the Cardinal games all the time. But here's a chance to play it at an actual wedding ceremony. And um, and it worked. Dwayne, he skipped the Cardinal game that night. I had Jeremy Boyer fill in for him down here. And he came to my house on July 1st. Not my house. The house we were having the wedding at. July 1st, 2017. Uh, he started playing the playing the song, and I walked out. I'm like, man, life will this will be the best moment of my life. And then Angela, my wife, came down the aisle. I'm like, oh no, no, this is the best moment of my life. But yeah, that was. I mean, again, that's just silly St. Louis stuff, and we love it so. I mean, who? What other city does the sports columnist know the the phone number for KMOX's uh, call-in show and Frederick Roofing. Well, as you say, Frederick Roofing, <laughs> yeah. that's the one that everybody yeah. knows. I, I mean, mean oh yeah, you're right. It's so St. Louis, and people who, who aren't from here maybe don't always get it, but I think that's like kind of part of the allure, right. too, almost, is it's this thing that bonds us all together. No question. You, you mentioned uh, Here Comes the King. Of course, that's the Budweiser Clydesdales, and we do a lot of stuff for the TV show, every, something every year with the Clydesdales, and then also social media. And the two big performers, you know, with some exceptions, but you put Yadier Molina on there, the post is going to do well. You put the Budweiser Clydesdales <laughs> on there. It was, uh, I, I believe, one of the top performing posts on the home opener for all of MLB that wow. day. So is there something in the book about the Budweiser Clydesdales? Well, there's a whole chapter about uh, Here Comes the King, the song. So there is much much written in there about uh, the Clydesdales and, and how they how they uh, are part of the Cardinals culture. And uh, again, uh, another personal story was I was able to get, we got our wedding pictures with the Clydesdales. So I, uh, so I talked about that experience. And yeah, there, there's no question. Yeah, Yachty, I love it. Yeah, well, there's a third, I assume. And I'll, I'll say it. Yachty, Clydesdales, Willie McGee. A lot of William. Well, Willie, Jose, Jose you know, Kendo, yeah. the man, number six, you can't go wrong. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see what people bite on or kind of what the flavor of the day might be. But, yeah, those two we've just noticed always. I mean, Yachty oh, yeah. and the Clydesdales. I'll tell you, I, I, did, um, I did a whole chapter on Yachty. And, I mean, he's, we are fortunate in many regards here in this city. But, like, to get to watch the spectacle that is Yachty or each game, and it ha- could have nothing to do with his offense. I mean, he could go for four, and he could have a great game. And uh, and I sat down with Ted Simmons and uh, Tony Larusa, and we, we chatted about Yadier for you know 15 20 minutes, and what a cool experience listening to these two guys, the great catcher and the great manager, just gushing over him as if they were 12 years 12 years old, like oh my god, my favorite player, Yadier Molina. It, it was it was a really cool chapter to write. I want people to go out and buy the book, so don't give me all of it. But was there like <laughs> one one tidbit from one of those guys? Because I mean, you're right. Like I love hearing Tony talk about former players period mm-hmm. because he's always got these really insightful things that you never would have really thought about yeah like last year with mcguire going into the cardinal hall of fame that was probably my favorite thing of the day was just getting to talk to him yeah. about mcguire going in but what what from those two guys about yachty stood out well i uh, one and, and uh, i think this is this isn't giving too much away because i think this story has been told before um but if not it's new to new people. The, it was the 04 World Series. And, and how funny is it historically, you know, that, that, that crossroads, if you will, or that, that, that whatever, however you want to describe it, Mike Matheny is the catcher. Mike Matheny is the catcher. Yadier is the young rookie. And uh, now, of course, Matheny is his manager. Uh, but they had Yadier start game four. And the Cardinals are down 3-0. And Yadier, who speaks Spanish, is picking up 
um, he, David Ortiz and Manny Manny Ramirez are trying to trying to like I don't know if they were trying to I can't remember it's in the book try to steal signs or, or try to there or maybe talk talk about one of the, the pitcher's movements or something and it, and Yadier who's like what twenty three at the time or whatever stands up to these icons and starts cussing them out. He's like, you trying to steal the signs, whatever. And he's like screaming at Tony's loving it, just loving it. Um, because I mean, he's not afraid of anything. And like, you're trying to win the game. And he's like, if you're disrespecting me and we know that's a, that's a theme of course, uh, with Yadier in, in, in a prideful way. But yeah, I mean, he felt like they were, they were trying to steal a sign or whatever. And he stood right in their face. And, and then the other famous Yadier story, um, that I think a lot of people know, uh, but if they don't, I mean, when he called the change up, for the first pitch of Adam Wainwright in the 2006 Carlos Beltran at bat um, to basically, I mean, Dave Duncan would always say, never start a, an at bat with the changeup because the whole point of the changeup is to change up the speeds that you're already used to. Uh, but Yachty had the, had the uh, what can I say, uh, baseballs to, uh, to think that he could throw Beltran off track by having Adam Wainwright throw Hey, whatever it was, 85 mile per hour changeup, just like floating past the great slugger, Carlos Beltran, strike one, and it turned that whole at bat upside down. But, like, I mean, I don't know if, if uh, you know, insert catcher here would have done that. Yeah, probably, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Stan Musial, you, you mentioned him, I think, yeah. a, a little bit ago. And boy, every time that, that I get to talk to anybody on the podcast that knew Stan, there's just always stories. Like mm-hmm. nobody ever repeats. Um, there's some, but it seems like there's so many unique things because he was so engaging from everything that I've heard. Who did you talk to? I think you said Brian, his grandson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what came of that in, in that chapter of the book? Well, I, I went, and that was the other fun thing about the book is I got to go to St. Louis places with these people that I interviewed. So you know, Tom Ackerman from KMOX, he and I, we, we hung out at uh, Sportsman's Park and just sat at the bar and talked Cardinals. You know, I met Lester's with Joe Buck talking Cardinals. And Brian and I went to, to Sasha's and we're sitting there and, and we're just talking Stan. And um, the thing, Brian, so Brian is, gosh, he's probably late, mid-30s now. So whatever it was, mid-20s. He was going to literally every dinner and lunch with Stan Musial. They just had this bond, grandson, grandfather. And then he was also like, Kind of not a business partner per se, but he was there for everything. So Brian was part of everything. And what fun, right? Because every day they'd go to a different restaurant. They'd, they'd go to Chris's Steakhouse and they'd, they'd, they'd go to the, uh, they'd, they'd go to some Italian places. And, and that's all in the book. And Brian was breaking down each, each Ferrados and each place that Stan Musial loved to go. But Brian, you know, he's in his mid twenties. He's like, and he'd call him Stan. He goes, Stan, I, I gotta go on some dates, man. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm single, I'm Stan Musial's grandson, like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go out there. And Stan just looks at him and goes, oh, bring her with us. And he basically says, yeah, Brian, just bring the dates to dinner. Because basically, like, Brian would say, I need a night off to go take a girl to Napoli. And Stan's saying, well, you're not getting a night off from me, but bring her with us. Why would that be a bad thing? So sure enough, Brian, uh, you know, pretty young lady and Stan Musial are having dinner together. And, and he's, you know, imagine the girl, like, like getting the call, like, hey, yeah, it's gonna be three of us tonight, though. Three? What? I don't understand. Like, well, I'm bringing my grandpa, your grandpa, but he's Stan Musial. Stan Musial, you know. And and <laughs> but and what and and Stan would always be like, you guys are making a great couple, you know. He's like, we just met, you know. And like and 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 the way and this is actually kind of beautiful. Uh, Stan would tell Brian, he's like, I've done everything in life, you know, I'm in the Hall of Fame, my numbers are retired, I'm 
you know, very popular in this city. Um, but I've never been a best man in a wedding before, which is, I thought was very interesting. And he said, I want to be the best man in your wedding. So he's like, he's trying to get Brian to like, you know, get attached to one of these dates. And, um, obviously Stan passed away Brian's not married yet. So Brian said, uh, when I get married, someone will have to, uh, fill in for Stan, which mm. I thought was pretty, pretty, was, pretty cool. It was, was beautiful. There a, uh, you know, a story maybe that you didn't expect or just something about the franchise that you didn't expect. And it sounds like you, you got a lot of great stuff and there's things that I haven't heard here before, but was there, I guess, anything that as you went in, you went, you know, I didn't really ever think about this situation or this team or this player this way, but here's this person telling me such. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and there, there are a few. And I, I, knew, I knew a lot of the names from the past, as we all, as we all do, but clearly I could tell you more about the 1996 Cardinals than I could about the 1926 Cardinals, if you will. Um, so Rogers Hornsby was a name I always knew, but I didn't really know much about him. And he was so good at baseball and he was such a jerk. <laughs> and, uh, the, 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 and like, God bless him. He cared so much, but he was so mean to everybody. And, and I, and it made, and it, it, it it sunk in because I remember this moment from the movie A League of Their Own, uh, the great baseball movie, and um, Tom Hanks was the manager of the team, and the outfielder is crying to him. And he's like, there's no crying in baseball. And she's crying. He's like, there's no crying in baseball. And then he goes on this tangent, the, the, Tom Hanks's character. He goes, Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and my parents drove in from Wisconsin, and he called me a bleep, 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 bleep. But did I cry? No. Why? Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. And uh, so I always, like, remembered that one moment, like, ooh, was Rogers Hornsby not the nicest guy? But apparently he was, like, so terrible to people. And, like, I'm sorry if, like, the great-grandson of Rogers Hornsby is listening to the podcast, but, like, I mean, it's very well documented from over the years, uh, but it's like it's fascinating because he was it was almost as if he was so good. And the, the I interviewed some historians for that chapter and they were basically saying, like, he felt like it. Rogers Hornsby was like, why can't everyone be as good as I am? It's infuriating. Why? Why aren't these people playing as hard as I am succeeding as well as I am? Like who like it, it, it drove him nuts. So that, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is like, you know, the name we're looking at the left field wall, there's Hornsby and, uh, we, and you know, he had the, the highest, uh, batting average, uh, you know, of his generation or whatever, but you didn't realize, I mean, he was the manager of the first Cardinals world series champions and they traded him. He was a player too. They traded him the next year. Yeah. Well, I, th I think that's the craziest thing about his story <laughs> is that, they, yeah, they traded him to the New York Giants for Frank Frisch yeah. straight off the first ever Cardinals World Series championship <laughs> in like the modern era as the Cardinals. And Frank Frisch, there's a lot of franchises that would probably have a statue of him out front. Yeah. If, you know, he would be their musial. And that's, right. that's not to speak ill of anyone else or anyone else's franchise. Just how blessed we are with the history here that, yeah, you know, they tell Branch Rickey, yeah, we don't want to deal with Hornsby anymore and the money that he wants and yada, yada. And they just flip him for another Hall of Fame <laughs> second baseman who goes on to win, I think, two more World Series yeah. with the club. That's uh, in a good way. That's just kind of like the Cardinals franchise. Right. <laughs> and a little anecdote is yeah. that they flipped Hornsby for Frank Frisch <laughs> in, in the, the winter of 1926. Is, is there a moment in Cardinal history as you've gone about it, uh, kind of putting this book together, that, or maybe it's a person that mm -hmm. is 
underappreciated. And and yeah. I, I definitely in my job, you know, we do a lot of stuff with the current team for TV, for podcast, for for social, and we do a lot as well. Um, you know, with with history and. I've always been a guy that's appreciated history in general, Cardinal history for sure. Like you, I'm from St. Louis. But there are definitely figures that I have come to understand better, I guess, especially from a numbers standpoint and then maybe from a personality standpoint too. Anybody that jumps out at at you from the book where you thought, man, maybe this guy doesn't get enough love, you know, across the fan base. Well, and this might be the year that changes it, but Ray Lankford, um, he hit the most home runs at, at the old Bush and was just a phenomenal athlete. I think some people around this building over the years would say he he did not uh, play to his potential, which is scary in a way because he was pretty dang good. And I brought up this year because he's up for the Hall of Fame and he might mm-hmm. that he might be getting a red jacket in a few months. We'll see. Uh, but I, I think if you if if you just look and I don't have him in front of me the 1998 statistics of Ray Lankford, not Mark McGuire, but Ray Lankford monster season. Yeah. 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 Like MVP caliber. Yeah. Any other year MVP caliber, no one even talked about him that year. So, so that, that comes to mind, uh, Ray Lankford and, and then another one, and this is, people are going to laugh, but like, just take five minutes and look at Jim Edmonds's numbers. Cause we might, the reason they're going to laugh, like Jim Edmonds, he's a, he's a superstar. He's one of our guys, especially people from this generation, but just look at some of his on base percentages and his slugging percentage. And of course we know the fielding. I mean, I think it's possible to say that Cardinal great Jim Edmonds was still underrated. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Jim that always, you know, and I was a kid for the most part and a little older, closer to adulthood when he, when he left the Cardinals, but I don't think that people, like, as time goes on, they're going to lose that appreciation for that clutch gene. And I know that people get all (laughs) antsy about, like, is clutch a real thing? And and there are players we've all seen, like Albert. He had the clutch gene. There's really no debating it. But Jim Edmonds, you think about, we'll see you tomorrow night. And all Mm -hmm. you have to say to St. Louis and to get them to have chills is that phrase. Like, the guy just had times where you weren't going to get him out. Like, it didn't matter what you threw him. He, he was not going to be retired. <laughs> right, right. Jim Edmonds, uh, I mean, what a thrill that was just to because to, you knew every night he was going to entertain you similar to Yachty, either with the bat or with the glove. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I, I like to, whenever I do something well in life, I'd use two fists and shake them in, a, in a, an excited fashion like him after that home run against the Astros in the playoffs, the, the Jim Edmonds uh, celebration. I'm trying to do it now, but I'm realizing I'm on a podcast and no one's seeing me but you, and you're looking at me like I'm crazy. You did it. Thank you. You had, you had the hands up. You. Hey, you know, Dizzy Dean is a fascinating guy from Cardinal history. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm oh, going to yeah. go out on a limb here, that he's in the book. Mm-hmm. Probably he a lot, and actually. maybe Paul both. I don't know. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That season in the 30s, I mean, they combined to win, I don't know, what was it, like 34, 38 games, a, a lot of ball games, and they predicted it. Who did you talk to about Dizzy Dean? Because that's the other thing with the franchises. You know, there's so many great eras, and, mm-hmm. and you spoke to it. Like, m- most people that come to the game, they could speak, and I'm I'm in that category, and I work for the club. You know, I could speak a little bit about the older ages, but it's easier to speak more authoritatively about teams that you witnessed in person. Sure. So sometimes I think we forget about a guy like Dizzy Dean, and yeah. if not for Bob Gibson, he'd probably be the greatest pitcher in Cardinal history. Right, no question about it. There's amazing stories about, about Dizzy Dean, and he's in here a couple of times. Uh, I, have, I have it right here. He's a yokel-like version of Yogi. Basically, he's Yogi Berra. His country-fried mantras and malapropisms and mangling of the language made Dizzy Dean a forebearer to Berra. The idea, like, they're both St. Louis icons, but 
but Yogi Yogi would say ridiculous things. Uh, but uh, of course, Dean would say it almost like in this country fried way uh, that made him him great. And uh, me and Paul are gonna win. It's in the book. I think it was four, what do you say? Me and Paul are gonna win forty five games this yeah. year, something like that. And yeah, then maybe they won in the forties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just, I mean, everything he said was just was just like confident, cocky, hilarious. They don't even know his real name. It, um, I have it in the book. I mean, his plaque at Cooperstown says one thing, but like other historians in like important baseball documents refer to him as a as a different name. I mean, they don't even know like his, his birth name, and he would lie to reporters about the the cities he was from, and you know the the, the whole thing. And but my favorite Dean story uh, was, and again, I this might have been mentioned on the broad, on the broadcast on the on the podcast before, but he became the broadcaster for the St. Louis Browns. And uh, he he had a, he was obviously like you said pitching at a really high level for the Cardinals. Actually, then he went to the Cubs and pitched against the Cardinals, uh, and he almost became a World Series hero for the Cubs. But they lost it uh, to the Yankees. Otherwise, that would have been really weird if we had to like share Dizzy Dean with them. Uh, but luckily, uh, they, they this was of course after 1908, and uh, so they didn't win the World Series. Um, one time I stayed at a, at a at a hotel and it was room 1908, but this was before the 2016. And I just took a picture of the room and texted it to all my Cubs buddies. Like, oh, I just want to show you where I'm staying this weekend. You know, I was in like Atlanta or something like that. I was pretty happy with that. But Dizzy Dean, uh, he got he had an injury situation and was never the same. So he became a broadcaster in. He was in his 30s and he's in his late 30s, but hadn't picked up a ball in a while. And he was a broadcaster for the St. Louis Browns of the American League. And Dizzy, who became a very famous national broadcaster, um, was known for being honest. And, uh, <laughs> and he's, he, you know, he's covering the Browns, right? They're not very good. And he's saying, these pitchers stink. You know, I could go out there and pitch better than they do. And I'm almost 40 years old. You know, what, what is this? You know, and... Bill Veck, of course, was the uh, the owner, and they said, "You know what, Dizzy? You think you're so so hot? You think you still got it? You're pitching the next, the final game of the season. You know, they're 73 games out or whatever it was. So they imagine this happening today. They brought the play-by-play guy out of the booth, down to the field, gave him a uniform, had him pitch for the team, and he started pitching pretty well. And um, and he got a hit." And, and it, was, it was the most amazing thing ever. And then he uh, he pulled a hamstring and uh, had to be taken out of the game like four innings into it. But it was just amazing. I mean, what a, what a tale, right? I, I can't imagine covering the guy. You mentioned it. He'd tell reporters different things. Brian Finch, who is uh, oh, in yeah. charge of the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum, told me one time. He, oh, he is. And he knows more probably about the Cardinals than, than anybody walking the planet, to be honest. Yep. Uh, just the stuff that's in his mind. But he said that Dizzy would give exclusives to two different reporters on the same day. And <laughs> the, the PR people, or I guess people that were in the front office with the club, would say, Dizzy, you can't do that. And he would say, well, I told him different things. So it's, I know, told it's, different things. It's fine. But can you imagine covering a guy like that where he's right. just handing out interviews like pieces of candy, but that's uh, all different information. Right. And Incredible. he was he was one of the first guys to ever endorse products, too. Like, I think that was part of his genius is that people kind of, like you said, gave yeah. him that country bumpkin mm-hmm. label. But he and Paul did quite well endorsing products in yeah. a day and age where that just wasn't 
part of what happened. Yeah. And they really were on the, the cutting edge of that. And um, whether it was an act or not, who will know, but that bravado that he brought really positioned mm-hmm. the two of them to, to kind of make hay on their success on the ball field and take it other places. And he invented the word slud. He slud in the third. I've never heard that one. Oh, yeah. That was, that was his whole thing was he, uh, he, he'd create these words. He's like, what's slud? He's like, well, if you slide, but real hard. <laughs> well, why is it just sliding really hard? Oh, but that's slud. He slud in the third, you know. And then he, and, and the, the old story. And I, gosh, I spent so much time researching this because I wanted to get it right. And because the old story was that school teachers would send in letters to the Cardinals or to who or to whatever it was, whatever team, the Browns or whoever, yeah. basically s- complaining that he was mangling the language. And these school kids, these impressionable young years, are, are hearing English spoken incorrectly. And uh, it's, it's, it's and, and I did. I found like a reference to it from from the 1940s because like I thought it was like an old wives' tale or what have you. But like, it, and I wanted to make. I didn't want to write about it in the book if it truly didn't happen. But I did find some uh, some examples of that. So that that that's crazy that the school teachers would would write in letters like he's he's taking the things we're teaching and throwing them out the window. Because he's using bad grammar. I've yeah, that uh, I've heard that story before. One of my other favorites is in '34. He got hit in the head. Mm-hmm. He was pitching against the the Tigers in the World Series, and the the Detroit paper, one of them the next day, said uh, X-rays of Dean's head come back show nothing. Show nothing. Uh, even under the skin <laughs> of like the the opposing media, they they show nothing. Who was the uh, the the person that you got for this book? And you you are in a position where you get to interview a lot of people that others would just be in awe of just to be around. I mean, mm-hmm. the Lou Brocks, the Bob Gibsons. And uh, and so I'm guessing for you, while you have respect, you've talked to them before. It's not the first time that you've interviewed them. It won't be the last. Was there one person for the book, whether they had you know celebrity status or not, that you were like at the end, wow, mm-hmm. that was really cool to get to talk to this person? Great question. And the answer is Ken Oberkfell, the World Series winning third baseman of the 1982 team. He's a hoot. Yeah, you know him. Yeah, he was with the Gateway Grizzlies uh, Yeah, last summer. So that's so there it is. You're setting the story up perfectly. I drove over to the ballpark and uh, saw Jay, and and, uh, I'd never been to saw Jay before, and uh, I sat down with with him on the field, and the stories that Ken Obergfell had were glorious, and they're in the book um, in, in numerous regards. One, because he was a good player. Two, because he was on the World Series team in 82. But three, he's from the area. And there's actually one, a whole chapter in the book is about third baseman from the St. Louis fan base area, which is bonkers. But if you think about it, and I hope I don't forget anybody while I'm doing this here, David Freeze, St. Louis, Scott Rowland, follow the Cardinals in Jasper, Indiana. Uh, we've got, I mentioned Ken Obergfell, who's from on the other side of the river in Illinois. Ken Boyer was mm-hmm. from the state. And then Mike Shannon uh, is, is from St. Louis. So five champ. I think they're all championship-winning third basemen are f- from St. Louis, or the area. I, mean, I know Indiana's kind of over there, but it's, yeah, it's, it's Cardinal Cardinals country, country, definitely. Yeah, what are the odds on that? Like, it's just it's bizarre, right? All third basemen. So, so he had these stories of growing up. So suddenly I'm talking to Ken Obergfell, and he's, he's – I, I keep doing this. He's 10 years old and he's telling a story about how Ken Obergfell got to meet Ken Boyer. And imagine that that was his favorite player growing up. And then 18 years later, his manager is Ken Boyer on the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, talk about a lottery ticket, right? I mean, I mean, I mean 
how many kids get to even meet their favorite player? And then how many kids get to play the position for their favorite team and be managed by their favorite player? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just the, the, the chill bumps on my arm, right? It's, it's, it's incredible. And, and he also told a story uh, about his hometown, and, and he, he, he still lived in this small town uh, in Illinois as, as a cardinal. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. I mean, you, I mean, I, I mean, there's, I mean, they, they, the money wasn't as crazy as it is now in baseball, but I mean, he's making a good living, and he's not living in St. Louis. He's living uh, in a smaller. It wasn't even a town; it was a village, and he's and he's and he's living over. I think it's called Maryville, Maryville, Illinois. And he's telling his his friends like, you know what? If we win Game Seven tonight, I'm I'm coming back to Maryville. We're gonna party all night, and. They're like, what? If you win the World Series, you'd be out in St. Louis. And the mayor of Maryville said, if the Cardinals win tonight, I don't know why the mayor sounds like the mayor from the Simpsons, but if the Cardinals win tonight, and from Boston, uh, <laughs> the, there is no closing time on the local bar. <laughs> There's one bar. And uh, basically the idea was like, if they win, you know, you can, the bar can stay open all night. And sure enough, the Cardinals win game seven. That's a winner, a World Series winner for the Cardinals. You know, Suter jumps into Porter, vice versa. And uh, sure enough, an hour later, driving in, Ken Oberk fell. He's at the local bar with his childhood buddies drinking beer about. And they're all fans of the Cardinals and Ken. And they're all celebrating. I mean, like, that is the coolest story ever. Just getting to knowing that that occurred, that a key guy on the championship team went home to his hometown bar and celebrated with his buddies. And his dad was there, too. Uh, Whitey Ball. People love to talk about Whitey Ball, and you're talking about Ken Obergfell. That's kind of that era. What was a favorite Whitey story, and did you talk to Whitey or people around him for, for those chapters? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd gathered stuff from, from Whitey over the years. Um, there, what I think this was a story I'd never heard. And again, it comes back to the theme of the book. Like, Of course, there's going to be some things in there that have been told before, but the idea was to find things that were, were new and uh and I, I, I've had a fascination with Channel 5 uh, since I was a kid. I think a lot of people love Channel 5 sports. Mike Bush, Frank Cusimano, um, Art Holiday uh, was, was a name from the past. And Art Holiday's in the book twice. Once because I did a whole thing, a whole chapter. There's literally, there's 50 chapters. There's one on Sam Musil, one on Yadier Molina, one on the Vince Coleman drunken interview on Channel 5. There's a whole chapter about that. And um, I don't know if I... Uh, I don't know what the rating system is for this podcast, PG. Well, we G. try to keep it uh, family, family friendly. Yeah. So I mean, basically, that's the gist of it. Was Art Holiday was live from the uh, live from the this is him holding a microphone. He's live from the uh, post game uh, locker room when they won the division in '87, and Vince was just like unfathomably intoxicated on live TV, and nothing. It wasn't bad, but he's just like screaming about the Cardinals in a fun way. Art Holiday was also in the book because he was, it was 1983 and Art was a young reporter for Channel 5 and the Cardinals had won the World Series. So at this point, uh, Whitey was, you know, as close as we have to a, a living legend. The, the guy that brought championship baseball back to St. Louis, they hadn't won since 67. And so he asked Whitey, he's like, hey, can we mic you up for a game? And uh, like, and then just do like a whole thing about, about you managing the Cardinals. He was like, sure. So they, they, like, like imagine, like imagine somebody, imagine Art Holiday today having the audacity to ask Mike with do you have we put a microphone on you and just record and video everything you do for the next five hours? 
Like, there's just no way. It'd be, it'd be, Matheny would laugh because it'd be such a preposterous uh, you know, request. Whitey was like, sure, let's do it. And I, they sent me some of the, they sent me the video of it. And he is, it's hilarious. Joaquin Andrew Hart was the pitcher of the game. And he, he's out there on the mound and, and Joaquin was not doing well. He's like, you're telling me you can get two wins in the World Series and then you pitch like beep, 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 beep today against the Astros. And it was just, it was hilarious and his, his voice and, and, and so many behind the scenes, um, details that we never get about a manager and of all managers is Whitey Herzog. So that that's in the book, a whole chapter about that experience uh, that Art Holiday did uh, getting to know Whitey Herzog the way no one uh, in the media and the fan base had ever gotten to know him before. So this one's probably a stretch, and if it's not in the book, I don't want you to feel bad, That's but fine. I'm going to throw it out well, there. We already determined we're writing a new one. Well, yeah. Or, part two, the or next maybe, 50 with you and me. Maybe just a column yeah, someday. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was always, we had uh, at the Old Bush, we had season tickets growing up down the third baseline, and after the game, we would take 40 to Hampton, Hampton to Watson, Watson to Chippewa. It was Ted Drew's time. Okay. And that's a huge part of a lot of people's Cardinal yeah. experience. Is it in the book? If it's not, did just the topic of Ted Drew's oh. come up at all? Sure. Um, and that was one of the things I like to do with the book was I, I, I'm pretty sure there is a reference in here at some point to Ted Drew's. And uh, I, I did that with a lot of places around town. Carl's Drive-In, um, just, I mean, restaurants, uh, Frederick Roofing, like we mentioned. Uh, there was a guy named, uh, gosh, Uncle Leonard. It was before I think both of our times in the in the in the mid '80s, and he sold uh, VC, v, VCRs and and uh, you know like camcorders, <laughs> and and they'd have like John Tudor or uh, Willie McGee or uh, Vince Coleman on these commercials with this like weird old guy like I'm I'm Uncle Leonard, I'm your Uncle Leonard, come on down, here's Vince Coleman. He's like, it's a steal if you buy a VCR here, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I can't remember literally, like, where Ted Drew's made it in the book, but, I mean, I mean you can – pretty thick book. Yeah. I mean, it's in there somewhere. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of our culture. So what would you get? Do you remember what your order was? Or was well, it different every time? You know, it's funny. It was different, like, a, as a kid. I kind of wandered and couldn't really, you know, find my way. But now it's uh, the lemon crumb, which is kind of like a new thing the oh, last wow. 10 years. It's very refreshing. Yeah. Check it out. Or the uh, strawberry shortcake. You can't go wrong with a cardinal sin. I guess that's <laughs> that's probably the, the way I would have gone for most of it. Sure. I, I didn't like, – here's here's perfect example. Like, they, they always had the tiramisu, and Ted would talk about in the commercials about the tiramisu, and it really is good guys and gals. And I'd be like, oh, what – Who's Terra? Like, why is it Terra Mizzou for for our state and our, our for our college in the state? And then as I got older, I realized like Terra Mizzou was like a, a famed <laughs> dessert. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Ted himself was coming up with the play on words. It wasn't like he knew a girl named Terra from Mizzou and he named an ice cream after her. Good stuff. Yeah, it really is good. I don't like. You know, I'm especially in this job now, I get the blessing of being around a lot of people. So like the, th- the whole like celebrity thing kind of wears off. But one time it was probably last summer. I saw the the guy. For, I guess it's Ted. I don't know. Yeah. Ted Drews. He was at the parking lot and I'm like holding a Ted Drews. And Come on. I, I was like shaking. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Ted Drews at Ted Drews. Right. Like that. I think that's uh, that's an interesting intersection with Cardinal baseball for a lot of people. So, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's, I mean, the that, next book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's the fun of it is like these, these, these people like in their own, um, 
in their own domain, if you will, in their in their own orbit. And and they're, they're in in the book. There's a part about Ozzy Smith wearing a you know like a fur coat, you know, showing up at restaurants in St. Louis and like just like Ozzy, like the king of the city, like showing up in your world. And then even back with with uh, with Stan Musial, I mean, he loved going to restaurants because he loved interacting with people. I mean. He, he there was something about it where like he he was our hometown guy and this was the epitome of him doing a hometown thing with going to the local restaurants and interacting with the locals it was pretty special all right so to close out here and this has been fun i really appreciate you I taking the it. time uh you know i feel like every cardinal fan kind of has their team it's like that one team that for mm-hmm. whatever reason and it's different points in life for all of us but like we have that thing and it's just no other team will ever mean what that team means to us. For me, it's 2011. You know, I saw him win in 06, but mm-hmm. 11, just the way it unfolded, that was it. You know, for my dad, it wasn't even a, a winning team as far as World Series. It was a pennant-winning team and a great team in 1985. Yeah. You know, older folks might even harken back. I've got some family members that would talk about 67 sure. and, you know, uh, other other teams throughout the 80s. But for you... Mm-hmm. What's your team? Benjamin Hockman, the yeah. team that for him uh, is the Cardinal team of all Cardinal teams. Well, the 96 team. And that's what's fun about it is I, I, I was born in 1980, so I, I was 16 that summer. And uh, for those that don't recall, they, they made the playoffs and uh, they won the first round and lost in the second in the NLCS to the Braves. And they were up 3-1 to the Braves. And that, that team was special to me because – People, when I, I've lived in New Orleans and, and Denver since since uh, I graduated from Terra Mizzou, uh, went to Mizzou uh, in, in 2002, and people are like, oh, you're from St. Louis, you're so blessed, you grew up with baseball, he's champions. I'm like, listen to me, man. My first season of Cognizance was 1987, so I was like, I'm learning the game, and they make the World Series. But from age 8 through age 15, the Cardinals were not good at baseball. So all this idea of like, get blessed with championships and all that. Like my main childhood years were not like that. I had a lot of Felix Jose and Todd Zeal and Tom Bernanski. So the 1996 season happened and all these things happened at once. They put grass on the field. They brought in Tony La Russa. They got new ownership. They've made numerous deals to bring in new players like Bennis and brought in Guy Eddie. There's another, there's a sixth third baseman. Gaetti is from Centralia, Illinois. Is he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Gaetti's in the third baseman chapter too. Yeah. Gary Gaetti. Um, Ron Gant. And Brian Jordan was my favorite on that team. And, uh, and then it was Ozzy's last year. They bring in hotshot Royce Clayton. But anyway, so th- they, they, they made the playoffs that year. And so that, 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 that was my, my team. Because it, it was like this, this new feeling. Uh, it was the first time I was able to be like, like totally understanding baseball and be following a winning team. And, and it was really exciting. And, of course, the Miguel Mejia play happened in that season. Do you know that play? I don't. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm commandeering your podcast here. but No, I, please I, do. I, I feel this, this is, of course, in, in the book, there is a whole chapter called um, Miguel Country Mejia and Enos Country Slaughter. So we know Eno's Country Slaughter, uh, the Mad Dash. It's his birthday today as we record Come this, on, actually. happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, Country Slaughter. And um, so, of course, he, he just kept on running on, the, on, that, on that hit in the, in the World Series and scored from first. So Miguel Mejia was a Rule 5 player, and I believe he was 21 years old, 
and he was really, really fast. And he was really talented, but whatever happened with the way his contract was, if they didn't put him on the major league team in the 1996 season, they would have lost the rights to him. So they did. And he shouldn't have been on the major league team. He was not ready. He wasn't even ready for like double A hitting wise, but he had speed and, and, and such. So they would use him as a pinch runner. And so on this 1996 team, he is on second base. They're at Los Angeles. It's September. And every game matters. I mean, they're 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 trying to trying to win the division here. Somebody bunts. Mejia goes to third, and just keeps running, and comes home. They threw the guy out at first. They throw home. Mejia slides in past Piazza, safe. Piazza loses it, screaming at the umpire, and everybody tells the story from the bench. You know, Ozzy, who are like, what are you doing? Like, like it was the dumbest baseball decision ever to keep running, but he kept on going. And just like they called him uh, uh, Enos Country Slaughter, they started calling him Miguel Country Mejia. And, um, you know, of course, he never made it in the majors after that. But, I mean, they needed that win. And, and what, a, what a crazy story. Miguel Country Mejia. Awesome. Where have you gone? <laughs> we'll leave it there. The name of the book is The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the St. Louis Cardinals. By the time you listen to this, it'll be available at bookstores across St. Louis. And uh, I'm assuming kind of the Cardinal footprint a little bit outside of town, probably too. Oh, yeah. And, of course, on Amazon, anywhere you can check out Ben's book. Just Google Big 50 Cardinals. Big 50 Cardinals. It'll pop up, and you can order the book right there from Amazon. Exciting stuff. Ben, thanks for your time. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Hope that you enjoyed that. Ben is, uh, he's just a, a, a laugh waiting to happen. He's got great energy. He's a gifted storyteller, and we appreciate his time here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. You heard the information about where you can check it out. Again, by the time you listen to this, it is out in bookstores across St. Louis, or like Ben said, probably the best way in a very 2018 way to look up a book. Just type in uh, the big 50 Cardinals into Google, and it'll probably take you to the Amazon page. You can check out how to purchase the book there. If you want to follow Ben on Twitter, I didn't mention it in the interview, but you can follow him at Hockman, H-O-C-H-M-A-N, on Twitter. Ben comes to the ballpark most nights as part of his job with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And if you're a nurse, there's a chance to come and be treated to a special night here at Bush Stadium coming up. We are calling all nurses to report to the ballpark stat. It's Nurses Night in 2018 with a day and night option for shift workers. Choose between Tuesday, May the 8th, or Monday, May 21st. Fans who purchase a special theme ticket take home their own scrub jacket. For more info, head on over to cardinals.com nurses. We appreciate you listening. You can always check us out and check out old episodes at cardinals.com podcast or on iTunes. We appreciate positive reviews. Those really help us out if you do enjoy the show. Last week, we had J.W. Porter, one of the first men ever to catch Bob Gibson. We're going to have Dan McLaughlin coming up in a couple of weeks on the podcast. Lots of stuff from current Cardinals, past Cardinals, Cardinals history, Cardinals present here in 2018 as we chase yet another pennant and yet another World Series. If there's something you'd like to hear, I always appreciate your feedback. Just give me an email, podcast at cardinals.com. Again, podcast at cardinals.com. 
Next week, uh, another real treat. A gentleman that you probably haven't heard of, like maybe you'd heard of Ben, but his name is Jim Sheely. He has been a Cardinals season ticket holder since the 40s. His family has since the 40s. I wanted to get the perspective of someone who had seen games at Sportsman's Park, who had attended World Series games in the 40s, who had seen names like Musial and Gibson and Slaughter all in person. Do not miss it. It is a uh, cool conversation. I enjoyed getting together with Jim, and we'll bring it to you next week here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. That is May the 8th, the show normally out by 5 o'clock, so if you're driving home from work, you can just pop it on and give it a listen as you get back home and maybe get ready for the game that night. So until Tuesday, May the 8th, my name is Brett McMillan. Big thanks to Ben Hockman. We'll talk to you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.